0: If you have your Bibles uh, for our promise today, look at uh, Luke chapter 17 and uh, verse 4, Luke 17, 4. Here's a very, uh, very uh, sort of a fascinating statement from the Word of God, and it talks about forgiveness. You know, if I had to uh, identify the probably the two primary sins in the average independent fundamental Baptist churches, our best churches, i say probably the biggest sin, maybe the most common sin, would be that of gossip, (laughs) the tongue. And then probably the second would maybe be a spirit of unforgiveness. Uh, Satan loves loves for us to pick up offenses, does he not? And uh, become resentful of somebody because of something they said or didn't say or whatever. But... uh, but uh, the wonderful promise in the Word of God is the forgiveness of sins. Uh, the greatest blessing after salvation is the forgiveness of sins, isn't it? But look at uh, this look at this, un, uh, this. verse. And it's talking about uh, forgiving brothers that offends you. That's the context. But verse 4 says, And if he trespass against thee seven times in the day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Well, that's quite, a, quite an idea, is it not? You know, about the third time I would begin to doubt somebody's sincerity, wouldn't you? Yeah. Maybe after the second. <laughs> after the second, sure. But the Word of God is saying something here, that our forgiveness are to be inexhaustible. And uh, this is, uh, if if God expects this of men, how much greater is his forgiveness? Uh, God will forgive us seven times in a day. That's quite a thought, isn't it? The Forgiveness of God. And I'm always, always struck by that uh, great uh, commentary uh, of uh, Spurgeon on David. Uh, David committed the sin of uh, of murder. And it was cold-blooded, premeditated murder, was it not? It was premeditated and trying to cover up his adultery with Bathsheba. And But in Psalm 51, David prayed, Lord, uh, take not thy spirit from me and restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Can you imagine anything more ridiculous than God restoring your joy after you've murdered a man in cold blood and had to cover up the adultery with his wife? What a, what a thought that is, <laughs> Well, God's uh, mercy is inexhaustible. And that, we have that wonderful psalm that ends every verse, that his mercy endureth forever. Well, what a wonderful promise that is. Well, turn, if you would, to the book of Daniel. and We want to look at uh, Daniel uh, chapter 4. And uh, here now we have where Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. Look at the first beginning of the first verse. Here's Hezekiah now, and Hezekiah is. Uh, I think this is sort of an event. He praises uh, great prayer of praise before his humiliation, and the where God lets him uh, uh, graze in the uh, grass like an animal, loses his mind, has the mind of an animal. He's praising God. Then uh, I think this is uh, actually the chronology of this is before. After that event, and then after the event, we uh, see uh, still more praise. But uh, first of all, look at the first uh, three uh, verses of Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar now is praising God. Uh, one of the debates among the theologians is whether or not uh, Nebuchadnezzar became a regenerate man. I believe that he did. But uh, look at Nebuchadnezzar, the king unto all people nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. So here he begins to praise God. And uh, then uh, we see now that God is going to humble him. And uh, in this chapter, he's lifted up with pride and exalted and uh, thinks that he's above God. Who, who, who God can, what God, he told those three Hebrew children, what God can deliver you? Your God's not going to deliver you. Well, uh, God has to humble this man and uh, this one of the greatest monarchs and kings in all of human history. And the Word of God here gives a description of the Babylonian Empire. Talks about the birds of the air, how he controls basically most of the then-known world. Now, controlling the birds and things like that, that's just sort of rhetorical, um, uh, hyperbole, you might say. But uh, nevertheless, it indicates the power of this man. this man controls most of the then-known world at that time. We talked about now there being only six of these great world empires. And uh, so this is Babylon. Now, technically, this story is called Neo-Babylon. Sometimes it's called the Chaldean Empire. But uh, anyhow, he's humbled, and he's uh, God uh, gives him, uh, removes his mind, his capacity to think, and the Word of God talks about seven years. For seven years, God will humble this monarch, and he'll be turned into the uh, to uh, an like an animal, it says the fact he says he'll have the mind of an animal, and he'll graze and live off of grass like an animal among donkeys and the animals for uh, seven years and uh, some doctors uh, this is by, by the way there's some men that this is a disease that is common that uh, some men ha- uh, do uh, basically uh, think that they've become animals and things like that, so it's not a phenomenon that's not un- unknown. But, but, but God, but God gives him uh, the mind of an animal, and he uh, goes and grazes grass for seven years among animals, and his hair will grow long, said uh, will grow like the uh, the feathers of an eagle, meaning I'm sure very filthy and dirty and matted, and his uh, his fingernails and toenails will grow uh, like the claws of an eagle. It reminds me of some of these uh, ancient medieval monks. They thought the flesh was evil, and they thought the more you neglected the flesh and abused the flesh, uh, the more spiritual you were. So some of those medieval monks would grow long hair, wouldn't even uh, clean their teeth, clean their bodies. And uh, uh, they just became filthy, and they no doubt looked like monsters. But all this was in the name of being spiritual. And uh, separating the Word of God never tells us to separate from the world. We're to separate from worldly things and separate from sin, but we're to uh, be among sinners and try to reach sinners. This idea of uh, living in a monastery and things like that, that's thoroughly unscriptural. But anyhow, uh, this is the case. Let's pick up the story. Come back to verse 36. Uh, Probably, by the way, Daniel will probably rule the kingdom at this time. Remember, Daniel was second in the empire. And so probably Daniel will actually rule the the great world empire for seven years, and uh, then uh, God will restore Nebuchadnezzar, and then I I believe that here we see all the uh, the marks I think of, of regeneration of salvation. Come to, down to in chapter four, come down to verse uh, thirty four, and here we see now God has restored Nebuchadnezzar in the verse thirty four. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. But by the way, don't you take great confidence, uh, great comfort in the the, uh, providence of God? I don't know of any book in the Bible other than maybe the book of Esther and this book, this book of Daniel, shows more how the providence of God. God's in control. God's on his throne. (laughs) And uh, God uh, sets up kings. He puts down kings. Uh, God uh, determines who gets elected president in America, and he determines who gets unelected, does he not? (laughs) It's quite a thought. Now, I take comfort in that, don't you? That God controls American politics. Now, there's a lot of things about this that I don't understand. I'm going to ask the Lord when I get to heaven about why he allows some of these people to rule. Uh, maybe we get what we deserve, do you think? Amen. Maybe we deserve what we're getting. But anyhow, uh, God's in control of these things. There in the Psalm 11, I believe it is, where uh, the, the faithless question is asked. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's a faithless question. We see the foundations being destroyed in America today, do they not <laughs> They're destroying our constitutional republic. But listen, God's on the throne. That's what the answer to that faithless question is God's on the throne. Uh, God's in control, God does all things well. And uh, maybe, maybe the Lord's getting ready to come back soon. Uh, some of the prophecy scholars think well, uh, America's got to be weakened and prostrated and uh, and not become a powerful world influence. Well, uh, we've certainly brought, this nation's been brought to its knees, has it not? Uh, this is in many ways a very powerless country and uh, and it's getting uh, weaker and weaker uh, as time goes on. I think our our debt may just collapse this country. What are we, about 23 trillion in debt now? 30. Is it 30 now? Well, uh, but uh, listen, God's on the throne God's in his holy temple. Uh, God's under control. No Christian should lose a night's sleep worrying about uh, our politics. Uh, God's in control. He does all things well. But I don't know of anywhere where we see the greater control of God, the providence of God in, in control of nations. This is what this book is all, all about. We show how God is in control of the future. He, brings, he raises these great empires he, he 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 lowers these empires. He destroys. He crushes these empires to dust uh, when he sets up his millennium, and so on. And Nebuchadnezzar, at the end, and at the end of the days, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up, lifted up mine eyes, and this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High God. He praised God. <laughs> And I praised and honored him that liveth forever. You see all the the elements of, of saving faith, I think, in these pronouncements here. Whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. Do you see the humiliation now? When a man gets saved, there's always that breaking of pride and always helping and calling to his attention his sin and his failure. But no man gets saved, gets saved without humiliation, being broken under his sin and, and seeing his sin and so on. In the army, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? You remember he was doing that, wasn't he? What God can deliver you men? my fire furnace, now he knows. See, all, the whole purpose of him uh, was to break his, uh, the purpose of um, giving him the mind of an animal and grazing in the grass among the animals for seven years. All that was designed to humble him and make him realize that the God, uh, that God is the God of the heavens. The God, God is in control. That He is indeed the highest God. Look at verse 36. And at the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, and all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he's able to abase. No man gets saved without being abased, <laughs> and seeing his sin his power and his pride is his pride is broken. Well here we see a man whose pride was broken, do we not? I think Nebuchadnezzar I think we'll see him in heaven. Uh, some theologians don't. And some of those, most of those theologians are smarter than I am, but I I just, I think they're wrong. (laughs) I think we'll see them in heaven. Now let's come to verse five. This is one of the most fascinating chapters in the Bible. Now look up here just a minute. All right, this is uh, my uh, artwork here. This is the city of Babylon and uh, running from south to the north is the river Euphrates that runs through the center of the city. Most through the middle of Babylon. All right, in 539 BC, Babylon is going to be overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. Isaiah prophesied this. Jeremiah prophesied it that Babylon would be overthrown. Of course, a great picture, a great type, and a, a, a of the overthrow of Babylon there in Romans uh, or, uh, Revelation chapter 18. All right, Cyrus <clears throat> will be the King of the Medo Persians, and uh, so uh, in five thirty nine BC, he will under, he will overthrow Babylon. Belshazzar will be the ruling king at the time, which we'll look at here in just a minute. Belshazzar's father was Nabonidus. Well, uh, Nabonidus uh, spent about ten of the seventeen years of his reign outside of Babylon. They left basically the. Uh, control of Babylon to uh, his son Belshazzar Belshazzar's called uh, Nebuchadnezzar's called the father of Belshazzar well they have in the uh, in the old, in that time period they had no word in the aramaic or the or the aramaic which uh, the, the language they spoke had a word for grandfather so if somebody was your grandfather, they called him your father and so the father of, but they're technically the grandfather of uh, Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar. Nabonidus was his father. But they were co-regents. They reigned and ruled over Babylon together. But Nabonidus was out of, uh, did not live in Babylon very long. As I said, he spent 10 of 17 years of his rule outside the city. Well, while he was outside of Babylon, he was captured by the Medes and Persians. So by the time when uh, Babylon falls, Belshazzar is the king. His father Nabonidus has been captured by the Medo- uh, Medo-Persians, and so that's kind of the historical background to this. All right, let's pick up the story and let's look at Daniel five verses one through ten. It says Belshazzar, and they don't confuse this with Belteshazzar, who was named Belteshazzar. Daniel, Daniel. all right, both of them relate to the uh, Babylonian god, probably Marduk, and Bel were the gods of these Babylonians. And so remember these Hebrew children, and Daniel were named after these. Babylonian gods it says Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand and so uh, this was very very common in the Babylonian uh, empire to have all kinds of very lavish feasts and uh, hundreds and hundreds of some in this case a thousand people would be invited and uh, these uh, we know that in Babylon, they, the archaeologists have discovered a, a great palace, what they believe is is a Nebuchadnezzar's palace, uh, the palace that he built, and they found this great uh, hall that was large enough to accommodate a thousand people. And also in that hall, there was a, a big white plaster wall, uh, according to the archaeologists, and it had been quite conceivable that the handwriting could have been on that wall that was behind the uh, of the lifted up or the raised tables where the uh, where the king sat and so on. And verse two says, Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, <laughs> I think the word of God is suggesting here that uh, he was out of his right mind. He was drunken, well, obviously. Belshazzar, whilst he while whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple. Which was in Jerusalem? You remember this? Nebuchadnezzar uh, took these out. That had been prophesied, and uh, when one of the uh, kings, uh, were trying to impress their enemies, he took them in and showed all the treasures in the temple, trying to make an impression. Well, he was rebuked, and the word of God prophesied that someday those temples will be, uh, those treasures will be carried away. And of course, this was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, and Nebuchadnezzar. Destroyed the temple. Does anybody remember what year he destroyed the temple? This marks the 70 years captivity. You remember the year? 586 B.C. And then they built, this is when the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. He went in, he, he took all the, uh, the treasures out of the temple, and they carried them off to Babylon. And then uh, the temple will, will be rebuilt in uh, uh, 516. Uh, so if you look at that, it, it's about 70 years, is it not? Another, another thing, just, uh, another uh, issue that they like to debate is what, what period did the 70 years cover? And they've got different dates. But I, I like this because the temple was destroyed and the temple was rebuilt. So I, I like to see the time frame being, uh, being framed by the, uh, by the uh, destruction and the rebuilding of the temple. All right. Belshazzar, while he, he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar, really his grandfather, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem that the king and his princes, the wives and the concubines, might drink therein. Now, I think what, uh, what he was doing while he was, uh, I think perhaps his whole feast was held to commemorate the power of their gods. And I think that, that him bringing those treasures out of the temple to come and uh, drink the wine out of the cups and so on, I think it was an intentional defiance of God. Saying that, uh, listen, uh, God, this uh, Babylon is secure. And they give uh, d- dimensions about the walls being uh, high enough and wide enough to, for uh, four chariots could race abreast on the top of those walls. He had two walls. He had an outer wall. And one historian, they believe he exaggerated, they say he said, one historian says the wall was 350 feet high. Now, if you're a football fan, a football field is about 300 feet long. So he had 50 feet to that. That's probably an exaggeration. Probably wasn't that high. And he said the, the wall was 87 feet thick. And then after the uh, between after then there was also an inner wall. And in that between the two walls was a remote uh, it was a moat, not a remote, but a moat uh, uh, going around it. So they felt their city was invulnerable. And the historians say that the Babylonians, uh, had enough food supply to last for 20 years. And, of course, they had what they felt was a, a, a wa- an inexhaustible water supply, the Euphrates running right through the city. And so they felt they could withstand an enemy, and the enemy could siege them and not uh, capture the city for a period of 20 years. And so they were very smug, very, uh, very confident in the fact that their, their city was so great, uh, so well secured, so well supplied, that they could never be conquered by an enemy. And so, one commentator, and I agree with him, believes that uh, all this uh, to bring these uh, treasures uh, that had been captured, been taken uh, earlier, and to bring them out and to use them—those treasures, by the way, at all were sanctified. It had always been set aside for very special, godly uses. Well, this is blasphemy to bring these uh, treasures out, these cups and so on, and use them in a very common, profane way. And so uh, they believe that uh, woven into all this is uh, Belchazza's defiance of God. Now you can sin and be, uh, get to, and do some stupid things, but you but better but never, never, never weave your rebellion, uh, re- weave into your rebellion the defiance of God. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And, uh, but um, verse four, they drank wine. And praise the gods of gold. You see, it's very, I think this is very much of a religious act. And that's why I say I think this is their attempt to celebrate their gods and at the same time defy the, the true and the living God. It says they praise the gods of gold and of silver and of brass, of iron, wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Here we see now obviously a very supernatural. Here's a miracle. So then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of the loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. <laughs> uh, this this terrified him. I believe he felt very much the imminent, terrible judgment of God. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and this whole thing by the way took place quite a few years later uh, and so uh, they uh, these new uh, this nabonidus came to power and in no doubt forgot daniel and maybe uh, the jews uh, these uh, these soothsayers these uh, these sorcerers uh, perhaps whispered in the ears of nabonidus and uh, and beltshazar and uh, discredited daniel it, it appears that Daniel has been removed from power. Uh, obviously while, he must have forgotten what happened with Nebuchadnezzar, did he not? How he came how Daniel came in and gave him the uh, true uh, meaning, the true interpretation of the dream. And so it looks like he forgot all that. Uh, for, the first thing he does, the first mistake he makes is calls call in these, uh, these uh, soothsayers and astrologers and the so-called wise men. So he calls them in. Of course they get the same results. They have no idea what, what's going on or how to interpret the dream. So they, uh, but anyhow, he's, he, says, he pri- says, And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof, the writing on the wall now, shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now look up here. Here's why he's the third ruler. Is the and his uh, son are co-regents. So why, why could Belshazzar not promise him the second position in the kingdom? Because <laughs> he was actually second, then Nabonidus' father, so the only office he could offer Daniel would be the third ruler. Verse 8 says, then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, this is probably uh, perhaps the queen mother, this may be his mother, uh, it's doubtful that it's his, uh, his mother's, probably Nebuchadnezzar's, maybe one of Nebuchadnezzar's wife. But anyhow, she comes in and then uh, she reminds them of Daniel. Perhaps uh, she was, uh, of course, alive at that time and remembered Daniel and being perhaps the wife of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, understood him very well and remembered him. It says, Now the queen. By reason of the words of the king and his lords came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, uh, uh, meaning really grandfather, days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. And the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the the father, uh, the king, I say, thy father made master of the magicians, (laughs) astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving the doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. And Daniel comes and he comes before the king and gives him the interpretation. And uh, look at verse, uh, come over to verse, down to verse 25. Here's the message, and here, then Daniel will give the interpretation. This is what uh, the hand now wrote on the wall. It says, and this is the writing that was mine, Mene, Mene, a repetition. The idea means appointed or counted. You've been counted. <laughs> Basically, it's time to, uh, to assess your situation. Then the, the idea of the, of the tekel, uh, the idea had been weighed in the balances. You've been weighed and you've been found wanting. And then the idea there is uh, accountability there, the tecal, uh, and then you, you, uh, you farson, means divided. And basically what this uh, writing is saying that uh, God has weighed you in the balances and you've been found wanting. And now the terrible judgment of God is to fall on you. As a result of this, the kingdom will be divided. It will be split. Uh, the Medes and the Persians, these are two powers that unite together to uh, overthrow Babylon. Pretty soon the Medes will be merged into the Persians. And this, of course, uh, Cyrus at this very time now. Cyrus and his army, uh, one uh, great, uh, Darius the Great, perhaps his general, are outside the walls. They've already captured Nabonidus. N- Nabonidus. They've captured him already. And these armies are outside the walls. And they can't figure, and they think, well, they're secure. So what? But then what they do, what uh, Cyrus does, his army, in order to capture the city, uh, they'll lower the Euphrates River. So their soldiers can come in under the uh, wall, under the city in one sense, uh, uh, to uh, capture the city. Well, the way they're able to come in is they begin to drain the Euphrates River at this point. This is running. This is south north. So the water is running this way, obviously. And so, what Cyrus and his army will do, they'll dig a canal. <clears throat> dig a canal from the Euphrates. The water will run into the a lake nearby lake. And this will lower the river so low that uh, Cyrus's armies can come in under the city. That's how they're able to capture the city. And of course, all this all this was prophesied prophesied by the Lord. All right. Verse uh, 29 says, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And remember, Daniel's first response to uh, Belshazzar was... uh, when he asked him to interpret the dream was look uh, uh, keep your gold uh, keep your honors uh, I'm not really interested in those things why do you think Donald, uh, Daniel would not be interested in those things what did Daniel know that Belshazzar didn't know at this point what, what honor would there be in being the third ruler of Babylon at this point yeah he knew that he was going to be overthrown in fact overthrown that night the very time of this feast, is going to be overthrown. Of course, Daniel was aware of all that. But one of the striking things is the tremendous character and integrity you see of Daniel. He's a model of Christian integrity and character. But above all, a model of conviction, is he not? He's not, he's not, he's not moved by worldly honors and praise and wealth. Uh, these, uh, the, the only important thing is being faithful to God. So we see again this wonderful conviction, such a rare quality today among Christians. But anyhow, now look at verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. He was killed. Mm -hmm. And Darius the Median, now there's a great debate among all these, but we know Cyrus was the king at this time. Historians tell us that. And so Darius was, uh, some think that it may have been a, a title for a king, that many rulers would have the, the title of Darius, uh, because we know that there are several of these kings that had the same name. So it may have been more of a title than actual, an actual name, but we know Cyrus was the king. And that, that's something that's uh, a great debate among the theologians. And Darius the Median took the kingdom. Being about three score and two years old, he was 62 years old. Well, I think this is uh, this is Cyrus. And it's fascinating over and over again how, through the Word of God, we see all the we see history, we see archaeology. History and archaeology has never been disproven; has never disproven the Scriptures at any time. Every archaeological find they make only affirms the Scripture. A lot of times, they for a long time they believed that when the Word of God talked about the Hittites, that they, well, the Bible must be an error there because there's no record of any Hittite civilization in all human history. Nobody knew anything about a Hittite. Well, some years later, they found that the Hittites had a great empire on their sort of on the eastern end of Turkey. Do you know? For a long time, they never believed that there was a man named Pontius Pilate that the Bible was an uh, error there because there was no historical record of a man named Pilate. Uh, being uh, the procurator over at Judea. I think it was about 1962 they were up around Caesarea and uncovered a great uh, stone. It had the name Pontius Pilate on the name of the stone. Uh, given time, uh, you're going to find archaeology always confirms the Word of God. And they've never been, there's never been proven one historical error in the Bible. They thought there were errors, but with time they find out that they were wrong. They, uh, they accused Luke of making an error one time. And they found out later on that, uh, that Luke had contradicted Cicero, the Roman statesman. Cicero had written something about history and about a, a region and a locale. And he put uh, some city in some region. And uh, Luke, in his writings, put the city in a different region. And they say, well, we see Luke is uh, wrong because Cicero and Cicero was right. Well, of course, they always want to give the uh, secular historians the benefit of the doubt and not the people of God, the men of God. But they found out later that Cicero was wrong and Luke was actually right. And this happened several times. Now, uh, the Word of God, uh, this is God's Word, and it's perfect. There's no historical errors, no scientific errors in it, uh, no archaeological errors. Well, it's, uh, I take great comfort in the providence of God and the, the perfection of the, of the Word of God, don't you? <laughs> Let's all pray. Our Father, we're thankful for this day and uh, the precious truth of your Word. Now, Father, God bless us as we go forth to, uh, to the service. May the Word of God be alive and powerful. And uh, Father, we just pray that uh, you might save that soul today, Lord, that's them uh, the courage to call on thee and trust thee. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.